Graham Lynch. This is Comms Day Live. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to hear from Prime Minister Scott Morrison on what constitutes critical technology in the years ahead. And also, the Federal Opposition Leader, Anthony Albanese, and Shadow Communications Minister Michelle Rowland on their new fibre plan for the National Broadband Network. But first up, we're going to talk about what happened at Telstra Investor Day this week. And first up, we're going to hear from Group Executive Product and Technology, Kim Crow Anderson, who outlined a little bit of what Telstra's plans are for its network in the coming years. Our goal through 325 is to deliver sustainable growth and generate new value by enhancing our customer experience and improve product economics while building a balanced value portfolio. Our G25 product and technology strategy has four building blocks. First, we will deliver mobility growth to superior 5G connectivity and advanced 5G use cases. Second, we will deliver growth in our fixed consumer and small business by evolving our vision for our connected home and accelerate managed service for small businesses. And third, we will grow our enterprise fixed business through adaptive connectivity, industry solution and managed and professional services. Finally, our plan is underpinned by our strategic partnership and ecosystems that we will leverage to deliver best-in-class product and solution to our customers. In the past, telcos, including Telstra, have seen our superior network granting us the right to win in software services and new adjacencies. I see it differently. I believe best-in-class software and services are the best way to protect and grow our core connectivity business. We'll do that by increasing the number of solutions that, we not, that are not purely connectivity-based, such as managed and professional services, industry solutions, and new businesses like health and energy. We will also deploy an API-first architecture that allows us to expose our core products into new ecosystems and to strategic partners. This will create new value that we have not previously tapped into and at the same time protect us from technology disruption. Kim Crow Anderson from Telstra. And now joining us is Rowan Pierce, the executive editor of Comms Day, to fill us in on the rest of what happened at Telstra Investor Day. Hey, Graham. How's it going? Very good. So uh, you took an extended um, look at what Telstra is doing in, I guess, their non-core markets, namely health and energy. What did they have to say? Yeah, so this is what um, this is a segment that they're calling our new markets, basically. And I guess, like in the context of T twenty five, obviously they're seeking kind of you know new opportunities for growth. Um, so it was it was actually quite interesting because uh, it was a bit of a deep dive on I guess both these segments. Um, I guess on the Telstra Health side, uh, they had uh, Professor Mary Foley who kind of outlined their ambitions to really grow that to a um, five hundred million revenue business. Um, on the back of quite strong growth that they've seen already. And I think um, what was quite interesting there were some of the comments that Andy Penn made, which were, he put it in the context of back when NBN started to really eat into kind of like Telstra's core business and Telstra started looking for new areas of growth. Um, and Penn, during Q&A, he actually said, you know, around that time, we were too, quote, we were too distracted looking at different areas where we could generate new growth. Um, and he also added that some of those some of those investments didn't actually pay off. But on, he he looked at um, Telstra Health as actually 
something that's built into quite a strong business over the years. Um, although he did note that it's, it's very much a standalone business with Telstra, um, I guess, in contrast to Telstra Energy, which is going to be quite closely tied to you know Telstra's normal retail operations, really. Um, so I guess we on the Telstra Energy side, we heard from Ben Burge. Um, it's very interesting because this was the, you know, the first uh, detailed look at some of Telstra's plans in the area um, after it's it just as we reported it just got its licenses for New South Wales, Queensland, and South Australia, and also it's got the um, a license application still in train for Victoria. So Telstra Energy aiming to be a top five retailer with five hundred thousand customers. Um, but one thing that Ben did say is that they're going to take kind of a measured approach to make sure they get it right. Um, but he did. He did. He also said actually that there are big opportunities because there is that kind of overlap in terms of the you know Telstra's existing relationships with its retail customers. So what they're planning is they're going to sign up um, some employees first as part of a trial run, but they're aiming to have like I guess the you know customers are customers on board by the end of the financial year, and then FY twenty three really going to start to kind of ramp up marketing to um, the general public. Okay, um, moving on, um, you had a very interesting story in Commerce Day this week concerning the relationship between the Australian Communications and Media Authority and the industry body Communications Alliance. What's that all about? Yeah, so I, I thought this was, this was quite an interesting move by um, ACMA, really. So I guess the context is that um, Comms Alliance has submitted an industry code um, to the ACMA and it covers a process for telcos to kind of authenticate the identity of their existing customers. So it's like trying to address issues around like fraud, particularly like, you know, SIM swap enabled fraud, for example. So that code is currently sitting with the ACMA and awaiting registration. But at the same time, um, I think it was earlier this week, the ACMA has actually gone out and basically said, well, we might issue a new regulation which would cover the same ground, which even it has said is quite an unusual situation. So what we've kind of heard from industry is there's a bit of like unease at this approach because it does feel like a, a departure from you know, co-regulation. I guess ACMA's argument is basically that it's a serious enough issue and it really wants the power to kind of take action straight away against, straight away against telcos that don't comply. But it definitely feels like there's this tension here, um, particularly when it's this move by ACMA has come at a point where, you know, the code's been developed, it's gone through a public consultation process and is just kind of awaiting those final steps to come into force. Okay, on that note, thanks very much for joining us today, Rowan. Cheers. Okay, moving on, um, the federal opposition made NBN a big issue for the first time in months and months this week, announcing a plan to further expand the Fibre on Demand program that was kicked off by the coalition last year. That What this does, it basically builds GPON past all the fibre to the node lines in Australia and um, enables a customer to order a bespoke fibre connection if they need a speed that is not possible on the existing fibre to the node connection. Now, the current government plan takes this to about 75% of the fixed line footprint. The new opposition plan will take that further out to 90%. So let's hear from opposition leader Anthony Albanese and Shadow Communications Minister Michelle Rowland, who held a press conference on this this week. Scott Morrison has declared that we're in an election campaign. Well, that's a campaign that Labor welcomes. Because what elections do is determine the future direction of Australia. And what we know is that we have a government 
that's scared of the present and terrified of the future. When it comes to embracing new technology, when it comes to giving Australia the policy framework so that we can seize the opportunity to create jobs, to become a high-value economy, to look after people and make sure that people aren't left behind as we move forward into the future. Scott Morrison is part of a government which, when they came into office in 2013, having said that fibre-based national broadband network was a waste of money, set about dismantling it. They set about replacing fibre to the home and business with a hybrid model, including copper. Indeed, enough copper, 60,000 kilometres have been purchased by this government, enough to wrap around Earth one and a half times. It's absurd that in the 21st century we're using technology in this country that is so far behind. Well, Labor will have a repair job and Michelle Rowland, as the incoming communications minister, if we're successful, will be in charge of that repair job. Making sure that we recognise, as COVID has reinforced, that high-speed broadband isn't about downloading videos. It's about providing health services to people where they live. It's about providing education services, whether they be school students, university or TAFE students, or other adults uh, studying and being retrained. It's about making sure that businesses can compete by having access to markets, not just domestically, but globally as well. It is about Australia being able to compete with the world in our globalised world that we live in. Australia at the moment is running 59th when it comes to broadband. We are a G20 nation. We should be doing much, much better than that. And that's why we will set about uh, repairing this government's broken system of the National Broadband Network. Today we're announcing the upgrade for those who want higher speed broadband in up to one and a half million homes and businesses. This will cost $2.4 billion, but it will create 12,000 jobs. This is about people getting access to education services. It's about people getting access to health. It's about making sure that our businesses can compete. Uh, the government simply isn't up to the task. And with their system, uh, we know that they promised uh, their copper-based uh, network uh, would cost $29 billion. And that cost went to 41, then to 49, then to 51, and now stands at $57 billion. Belatedly, they conceded that they needed to upgrade some of the network up to, uh, from copper up to fibre. If they had have done the right thing in the beginning, when I as communications minister made it very clear before the 2013 election that what we needed to do was do it right, do it once, do it with fibre. Had we done that, we wouldn't be in this predicament of having to repair. Now, the government started a bit of repair. Labor will take it that step further by ensuring that 90% of households and businesses have access 
to high-speed fibre. Michelle. Thanks, Anthony. When Labor initiated the National Broadband Network, it was about a vision for the future. It was about ensuring that Australia had the best, because Australians deserve the best. Our businesses, our industries, our students all deserve the best. That is why Labor always said that we would do it once, do it right, and do it with fibre. Now, when the coalition were elected, they took a different path, as Anthony outlined. They said that they would build a network for $29 billion that has virtually doubled in cost to today being $57 billion. And let's be clear, the pandemic has taught us many things. There are going to be new normals with how we study, how we work, and how our industries adapt. And if we want a future made in Australia, the best future made in Australia, we are going to need the highest quality communications infrastructure. So as Anthony has outlined, today we announce two parts of an intrinsically linked policy framework for the MBN that we will be taking to the next election. The first is the repair job to ensure that we can expand the number of residents and small businesses who have access to fibre technology. And we will, for the foreseeable future, while we get this job done, keep the NBN in public hands because we want to ensure that the NBN has the certainty for this task and that costs are kept as low as possible for consumers. And let us examine the record of the coalition in this area. The cost blowouts that were mentioned, every single assumption on technology being wrong. You cannot trust the Liberals when it comes to technology. They said that they would build a network for the future. And it is very clear that even a year ago, they undertook the single biggest, humiliating, wasteful public policy backflip and announced that they will be reverting to fibre. Well, under an Albanese Labor government, we will ensure that that repair job is accelerated and that we have up to 1.5 million premises ensuring they have access to the highest quality broadband through fibre. Thanks very much. Okay, now you probably heard Anthony Albanese mention there that he was the communications minister um, back in the past, and that might have been a bit confusing to people, but it is indeed true. Um, even though Stephen Conroy was the mainstay communications minister uh, during the life of the Labour government um, between 2007 and 2013, towards the end, when Kevin Rudd returned to the leadership and replaced Julia Gillard, Stephen Conroy stepped down from the comms minister position and Anthony Albanese served in it for, for a short period. Now, there was a very interesting international conference this week called the Sydney Dialogue. that um, involved the prime ministers of both India and Australia. And... One of the discussion points was critical technologies. And in the, in the words of the Financial Review, um, basically a push to identify critical technologies, protect their supply chains from disruption, 
and stop China from dominating their development. So I thought we'd hear from the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, who gave a bit of an outline as to what these critical technologies are and did a bit of a deep dive on quantum in particular and what Australia will be doing in that area. At September's first in-person Quad Leaders meeting in Washington, D.C., we agreed to strengthen lines of effort across a number of very important areas, including technical standards, with an initial focus on communications and AI 5G deployment, and diversification, and detailed horizon scanning and mapping with an immediate focus on supply chain security for semiconductors and their vital components, as well as exploring opportunities for cooperation on advanced biotechnologies. We're also working within the Quad to bolster critical infrastructure resilience against cyber threats, benchmarking against international best practice. At home, our Office of Supply Chain Resilience is monitoring supply chain vulnerabilities and coordinating whole-of-government responses to ensure access to essential goods. As a country, around 25 million people, in a world of some 7.8 billion people, most of our technology is and will continue to be important. Makes sense. In most cases, having diverse, well-functioning markets can meet our technology needs, but in some cases, for critical technologies, we need to ensure we can access and use such technologies reliably and safely in good times and bad. Taking a wider lens, the Australian government has developed a range of policies to ensure we maximise the opportunities new and emerging technologies offer and to minimise the risks they pose. Our digital economy strategy sets a goal of making Australia a leading digital economy by 2030 by investing in the infrastructure, the skills, the regulation and systems that support enable emerging technologies. Our AI Action Plan sets out a vision for Australia to be a global leader in developing and adopting AI. Our modern manufacturing strategy is about making science and technology work for industry and encouraging higher levels of technology investment, especially in defence industry, which is one of our key strategic sectors, one of six. Our cyber security strategy sets out a framework to protect our nation against cyber threats, including threats against critical infrastructure, and to enhance our cyber awareness and capabilities. Our low emissions technology statement positions Australia to become a low emissions technology leader to get us to net zero by 2050, including in clean hydrogen, green steel and aluminium, carbon capture and storage, long duration energy storage, soil carbon management, and ultra cost solar, ultra low cost solar. This is vital, as I said, to reaching the net zero commitment that we've made, our target for emissions by 2050. And part of our plan for a strong economy and a safer, more resilient Australia. Today, I'm pleased to release another key part of that plan, Australia's blueprint for critical technologies. The blueprint sets out a vision for protecting and promoting critical technologies in our national interests. It aims to balance the economic opportunities of critical technologies with their national security tasks. And it gives us the right framework to work domestically and with like-minded countries to support further development of these technologies. The blueprint sets out four key goals. Firstly, ensure we have access to and choice in critical technologies and systems 
that are secure, reliable and cost effective. And this promoting is Australia as a trusted and secure partner for investment, research and innovation, collaboration and adoption of critical technologies. Thirdly, to maintain the integrity of our research, science, ideas, information and capabilities to enable Australian industries to thrive and maximise our sovereign IP. And support regional resilience and shape an international environment that enables open, diverse and competitive markets and secure and trusted technological innovation. The blueprint is supported by an action plan which outlines what Australia is doing to protect and promote critical technologies in the pursuit of our national interest. It also specifies our nation's first ever critical technologies list. You've got to set priorities. The list signals to governments, industry and academia that technology is slated as critical for Australia today for those or those expected to become so within the next decade. Through this signal, we intend to drive consistency in decision-making and focused investment, a mission focus. There are 63 critical technologies on the list, but we've got an initial focus very clearly on just nine. Let me focus briefly on just one, quantum technologies, applying quantum physics to explore ways to acquire, transmit, and process vast quantities of information. Quantum science and technology has the potential to revolutionise a whole range of industries, including finance, communications, energy and health, agriculture, mining, manufacturing and transport. Quantum sensors, for example, could improve the discovery of valuable ore deposits and make groundwater monitoring more efficient. And quantum communications can provide for secure exchange of information to better secure financial transactions. Quantum technologies will also have defence applications like enabling navigation and GPS designed environments and helping to protect us from advanced cyber attacks. Australia is already a global leader in several aspects of quantum technology. We have some world-class research capabilities and scientists and strong foundations for a thriving quantum industry. Now we need to take it to the next level. The government has asked our Chief Scientist, Australia's Chief Scientist, Dr. Cathy Foley, to lead our first ever national quantum strategy. This will aim to better integrate industry and government activities, building on the recommendations of the CSIRO's Quantum Technology Roadmap. Strategy will be informed by a national committee on quantum, which the Chief Scientist will chair, with commercial research and national security expertise. I'm confident the new strategy will help position Australia as a quantum technology leader in the Indo-Pacific. I'm also pleased to announce today that the government will invest $70 million over the next decade in a quantum commercialisation hub designed to commercialise Australia's quantum research and forge links with global markets and supply chains. This is about capitalising on our competitive advantage and taking our research to the world. The hub will be designed to attract private co-investment and to partner with equivalent bodies among like-minded nations. The first step is a joint cooperation agreement, which the government has signed with the United States. And we're looking forward to working with other countries too. Ladies and gentlemen, technology isn't developed in a vacuum. It reflects the values of the society that creates it and uses it and how they use it. For Australia's part, 
we are guided by our values as a liberal democratic nation, based on respect for the rule of law, human rights, economic and religious freedom, gender equality, and independent institutions. And that's Scott Morrison, the Australian Prime Minister, talking about critical technologies and infrastructure. And that's it for Comms Day Live this week. Thanks for joining us. We will take a break from this podcast next week and return the week after.